Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. If you are here joining us for the first time this Sunday morning, welcome. Thank you for choosing Christ Fellowship from the bottom of my heart. And uh, if you have joined us, you have joined us at the start of two things, actually. The first thing that I'm going to mention really quick is it's only the second week of January. So we're really still in the brand new year right now. And, uh, you know, there's two types of people that I have noticed so far in regards to the new year. You have on one side, you had people that once the ball dropped, they hit 2024 running. They were in rhythm. They were in a groove. They grabbed 2024 by the horns, and they were like, 2024 is going to be my year. This is it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill it. And then on this side, you have people that are still rolling out of bed and like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it's still January. Why isn't January over yet? They haven't gotten in a rhythm yet. They're not in a groove. They haven't grabbed 2024 by the horns yet. But either way you look at it, though, either way you look at it, we are in a brand new year. It's a brand new start for each and every single one of us. And in that same vein of brand new, we are actually in a brand new series. And that brand new series is under the umbrella of the word of the year that God has given to his church, Christ Fellowship. How many of you remember what the word of the year is? The way. Yes, that word of the year is the way. You see, followers of Jesus back then, they were known for their distinct differences. They were known for the distinct differences in the way that they behaved. They were known for the distinct differences in their character. And they were known for the distinct differences in the way that they conducted themselves in the surrounding culture of that time. There are so many different cultures that they lived in, but they were known for that distinct behavior. Now, one of the biggest things that led to all of that was their passion. They had a huge passion. It was their passion to learn about Jesus, who Jesus was, and all of his teachings. Not only that, but it didn't stop there. They didn't want to just learn about Jesus. They wanted to live it out. They wanted to live it out, meaning that everything they learned from Jesus, they applied it to their lives and they carried it out in their own lives. And as a result of that, as a result of that, their lives and their hearts were transformed. Their lives and their hearts were transformed. Every person back then who was a Christian, Christ follower of the way, they were marked by those three things. They were marked by those three things, a passion to learn about Jesus and his teachings, living out what they learned, and as a result, their lives and their hearts were transformed. Wherever they went, whoever they encountered, no matter if it was one person or a whole group of people, it didn't matter. Those people that they spoke to and that they encountered, they noticed something. They noticed that there was something different about these followers of the way. And that's exactly what Jesus' desire is for each and every single one of us, that we would have that same exact passion, that we would take what we learn from his word and that we would apply it to our lives. And as a result, 
our lives and our hearts would also be transformed. And the best way to start that process, the best way to do that is to learn all about Jesus, is to know him. But I mean like really, really know him. And one of the best ways to know him is to know him through his word because his word is all about him. No matter where you go in the Bible, it doesn't matter what book you pick, everything points back to him. It points back to Jesus. You see, we are currently in the second week of our sermon called, of our series called The Sermon on the Mount. And what we are doing is that we are highlighting some of the most important teachings slash sayings of Jesus. And here's the thing. There's no way, there's no way that you can talk about the most important teachings and sayings of Jesus and not mention the Sermon on the Mount. You can't do it. It's his most famous sermon. It really is. It starts off in Matthew 5, and it finishes at the end of Matthew 7. And here's the cool part about it. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. If you have a red-letter Bible, I'm not sure if any of you guys have that, but if you have a red-letter Bible, it's nothing but red letters for about three whole chapters. And the cool thing about it is there's no interruptions. There's no sidebars. There's no tangents. There's nobody else asking Jesus a question. There's no black letters of any kind. It's all Jesus talking. And what he's doing as he's delivering this sermon is basically he's describing his kingdom. He's declaring his kingdom to everyone. But as I did a little bit of research, I also found out that not only is he declaring his kingdom, he's also declaring his heart. He's declaring his heart. And if we, and if we are to follow his ways, if we are to follow his ways, then our hearts should reflect these words. They should. Last week, when Joel kicked off this series, he started off at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He started off with the first beatitude. And the beatitudes, there's eight of them in total. That word beatitude, it means blessings. Now, it's worth mentioning really quick, when Jesus was proclaiming these beatitudes, when he started his Sermon on the Mount, he was talking to a huge crowd of people. And none of them were religious leaders. None of them were religious higher-ups. And the reason why none of them were is because all the religious higher-ups, they looked at Jesus and they were like, nah, man, just go over there. They wanted nothing to do with him. They rejected Jesus. So Joel last week made this really cool point. He said, when the religious people rejected Jesus, Jesus went to rejected people. And I think that is something so important for us to understand. When the religious people rejected Jesus, Jesus went to rejected people. All of the outcasts, all of the abandoned, all of the people who, according to the religious higher-ups, weren't good enough, those were the people that Jesus spoke to. So when Jesus is giving this Sermon on the Mount, and there's this huge crowd of people that are listening to him, you have to think about this. It's nothing but outcasts. It's nothing but people that the religious people said weren't good enough. And this reminds me of a really cool quote that I read the other day, and it says this. It's from a book titled, What If Jesus Was Serious? Now, listen, let me tell you something right now. If you ever cross a bookstore and you come across a title of a book that says, What If Jesus Was Serious? 
immediately pick it up because I guarantee you it's a good read. You won't miss out. But here's the quote. It says this. The Sermon on the Mount is descriptive of who has the most to gain by the arrival of his kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount is descriptive of who has the most to gain by the arrival of his kingdom. As you can see, the ones that had the most to gain weren't the religious higher-ups. And it's not because the word of God wasn't for them, because the word of God is for everybody. It's just that the religious higher-ups had something that was between them and Jesus that prevented them from seeing Jesus for who he really is. They had something that was in between them and Jesus that prevented them from hearing the words of God, the very words of God. And that thing is called pride. And pride is what prevented them from seeing Jesus for who he really was. They thought they were good enough. They thought they were well off. They thought that the position gave them the entitlement that they needed to be in good standing with God. But little did they realize that they were in the same boat as everybody else. They needed Jesus as much as everybody needed Jesus. They just didn't see it. So what did Jesus do? Jesus went to the lost because the Pharisees didn't see that they were lost. In effect, Jesus came to you. Jesus came to me. We were the ones that had the most to gain by the arrival of his kingdom. And it begs all the more that if we were the ones that had the most to gain, then we should be the ones that pay attention to his words the most, especially when he speaks them. And as we continue with his words this morning, we are going to be talking about the second beatitude. We already went over the first one last week. We're going to touch on it a little bit this week, but we're going to continue on. Right after Jesus speaks the first beatitude to the whole crowd of people that are there, he hops right in immediately to the second one. There's no pause. It's kind of like a continuation. It goes on and on, and it continues forward. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. He says this, Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. That's the second beatitude. Now, that word there, mourn, I'm pretty sure it's a word that we are all familiar with. Because as I take a look around in the audience right now, everybody here, everybody in the balcony, I can see that every single one of us here has a whole lot of experience. I'm not calling you old. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we all look like we've lived long enough to have mourned. Now, whether or not you have the experience of somebody that you've lost, whether it was a loved one, a close family member, or something like that, you've mourned. If it wasn't that, then maybe there was a relationship that you had, boyfriend, girlfriend, maybe you dated for like five or six years, and unfortunately, that relationship didn't end up the way that it was supposed to, and it fell apart, and it broke, and there was mourning involved in that relationship. Maybe it lasted two or three days. I know how high school people are nowadays. Two or three days is like a lifetime. They mourn over that. It's the truth. It happens. I see it. Trust me. I know. My wife is a teacher. She tells me all the time. Now, whether it was that. Now, unfortunately, (laughs) apart from that, maybe it's the fact that, unfortunately, there was a marriage 
that was together for a very long time, and the marriage ended in divorce, and there was mourning there. Or maybe they were engaged, and there was mourning there. Either way you look at it, at one point or another, if there is emotion involved in any type of relationship, if that relationship ends, there is mourning. There is. That's just the way that it is. We all have. But what I would like to do with this text, what I would like to do is that I would like to do a proper exegesis of this text and of this word. Don't be intimidated by the word exegesis. It just means a breaking down, right? Because I really feel if you break down this text, we will really find out what Jesus is talking about here. And believe it or not, I don't say this lightly, it's a life changer. It really is. It's a life changer. I remember when I first read this passage a very, very long time ago when I first became a Christian, I took it at face value. Because when you read it, it's like, you know, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Because when we look at it, you know, to mourn is to mourn, is to mourn right? Like there's no deeper hidden meaning than that, right? Is there? Well, this is what that word means. That word mourn is the Greek word pentheo. Pentheo. Say it with me. Pentheo. I heard some other words. Say pentheo. Pentheo. Now, this word pentheo, it, what it really is, it has two adjacent meanings. I want to make that very clear. It has two adjacent meanings, meaning that they go together. I'm going to give you the first one right now, okay? The first one is this, pentheo. It means to grieve or lament so passionately that it cannot be hidden. To grieve or lament so passionately that it cannot be hidden. At its core, it's the highest form of sorrow that can be expressed, usually through wailing or crying. It's not a, no, it's a, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. It's like an ugly cry. How many of you ever ugly cried before? Ugly cry. I see some hands going up. Listen, you guys have ugly cried before, trust me. You just don't want to admit it. I understand. You've ugly cried. Whenever I hear about ugly cry, I think about that song a long time ago. Yeah, my tears have burned up. You guys know that song? No? Okay. All right. Forget it. Don't look it up. Don't look up the lyrics. It's bad. Right? But it's an ugly cry. It's an ugly cry. It's the highest form of sorrow. The highest form of sorrow that can be expressed. It's not something that's kept within It's an outward expression of the highest form of sadness that you could possibly imagine. That's what pentheo means. That's what it means to mourn. That's the first one. The second one is, I'll get to that one in a few. I'm not going to give it to you yet. But check this out. Blessed are those who pentheo, grieve or lament so passionately that it cannot be hidden, for they will be comforted. That word comforted, it's the only time I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you two Greek words back to back. That word comforted is the Greek word parakeleo. I'm not going to ask you to repeat that one. It was a tongue twister for me. It took me a long time to say it. I'm not going to do it to you, right? It's the Greek word parakeleo. And what it means is to call to one side, to console, to encourage, and strengthen, to lift, Now, it's not, when I say this word parakaleo in terms of comfort, it's not, it's not a, I'm going to send you a word of encouragement through text. That's not what it is. It's not, 
I'm going to write you an email to strengthen you and build you up. No, 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 that's not what it is. Parakaleo is a word of comfort for right then and there. If somebody is mourning and you want to comfort them, what parakaleo means is you call them to your side immediately. You call them to your side immediately because they are mourning, and what you are doing right then and there is encouraging them, strengthening them, and building them up and lifting them up in person. It's not a text. It's not an email. It's not a letter. It's not a, I'm going to pray for you later on. It's a right now. I remember when I was about 13 or 14 years old, I had a really cool aunt. Her name was Adi. And she was like, everybody has like that one cool aunt, right? That like does everything with you. It was like super cool, right? Well, Adi was that cool aunt for me. Uh, we watched R-rated movies with her. We, uh, she gave us money for no reason. Uh, she lied to my parents for me when I was in trouble. Like, she, like that's, she was that cool aunt. Yo, she was cool. I chilled with her all the time, right? Whenever she pulled up and picked me up from school, she was blasting all the cool music. She had the dopest car. We watched all the cool movies. We had ice cream and popcorn for dinner. I mean, she was the dopest. I can't even lie. She was that cool aunt. We've all had one. If you don't have one, find one, all right, because she's that cool. Unfortunately, Adi lost her battle with cancer. And when she passed away, it was very devastating to me. And the reality is, it was my very first experience with, like, that kind of thing, you know? So I remember being in the funeral home, sitting in the front row. And my mom comes up to me, and I had all this emotion inside of me. Like, I didn't really know how to express it. It was just a heaviness in my heart. And my mom comes up to me, and, you know, the service had gone on for a while already. And my mom comes up to me, and, you know, the service was ending. And my mom wasn't being heartless. She wasn't being heartless. But she came up to me, and she said, hey, Eddie, you know, um, they're going to close the casket. You know, if you want to say your last goodbyes, do it now. When my mom said that, Pentheo came out. Ah, I just started crying all over the place. All this emotion that I had inside of me just welt up and came out. And I was ugly crying all over the funeral home. My dad, who was in the corner at the time, he sees me, and he says, Eddie, come here. He gets down on his knees, and he hugs me, and he rubs my back. And he tells me, Eddie, Adi's in a great place right now. She's with God. She's hanging out. She's chilling. They're eating ice cream and popcorn right now watching movies. It's cool. She's all right. We'll see her again. When my dad said that to me, I took a deep breath in, and I sighed right back out. And I felt better. I was still crying, but I felt better. You know what my, my dad did right there? My dad did paracaleo. My dad did paracaleo. Because that's what it looks like. It's an immediate right then and there, not a later on. It's an immediate right then and there. And all throughout Scripture, We see God telling his people how he is going to be the source of their comfort. I'm going to spit fire a couple of verses to you really fast. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. This is Paul talking to the church in Corinth, and this is how he describes Jesus. Check this out. He says this, starting at verse 3. Praise be to God and Father. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of compassion and the God of all what? Comfort. Who does what? Comforts us in all of our troubles 
so that we can do what? Comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I don't know about you. That's a whole bunch of comfort right there. That's a whole bunch of, he looks like four comforts in that verse right there. But here's the cool thing about that verse, just really quick. I don't, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. God gives us comfort in all of our troubles. Does he not? That's what it says. It's the truth. I believe it. You should too, because the Bible says so. God gives us his comfort, but he gives us the example of his comfort so that we are comforted in our troubles. That, but it doesn't stay there. It's not just for us. It's for what? So that we can do what to others? Comfort them. But do we comfort them with our comfort? No, we comfort them with the comfort that he shows us. Why? Because when you do that, what does it all point back to? Points back to him. God gets all the glory in that. It's not something just for us. Yes, God comforts us. Yes, God is there for us. Yes, God lifts us up. Yes, God encourages us. He does that for us, and it's great. Well, we should take that example and do the same exact thing for when we see our brothers and sisters who are also in trouble and we should give them the comfort that God gives us because that way God is glorified all the more because of it. And you know what you're really doing? You're really introducing them to God without them even knowing it. You're introducing them to Jesus without them even knowing it. And then when they ask you, why are you so different? Why are you so distinct? It's because of him. It's because of him. The next verse in the book of Isaiah, God is speaking through his prophet And he makes this very, very plain and very, very simple. It's like a one-liner. He says this in Isaiah 51, 12, carrying out his wrath. God was carrying out his judgment, and rightfully so, because God is perfect when he does that, his judgment and his wrath. But even in the midst, in the middle of that, he tells his people, hey, just so you know, I am the God of wrath. I am the God of judgment, but I also am he who comforts you in the middle of all that wrath and all that judgment. I am he who comforts you. That's our God. That's who he is. That's what he does. Even King David, in his most famous psalm, he can't even go a few lines without mentioning God's comfort. He says this in Psalm 23, 4, his most famous psalm. He says this, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they Comfort me. In our darkest moments, in our worst struggles, when no one is around and it seems like we are battling it out all on our own, when we have a well of pain deep down inside of our hearts that is about to burst forth and we can't control it, God says to us, come near. Come near. I, even I, I'm he who comforts you. What an amazing God we serve. But I'm curious. Can I go a little bit deeper with this verse? I just want to go a little bit deeper. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Can I go deeper with this verse really quick? Can I show you something that I think not too many people know? I'm going to take my time. I'm going to preach it. Here is the second Adjacent meaning of that word pentheo. It means this to grieve or lament so passionately over sin or the condoning of sin that it cannot be hidden. Grieve to grieve or lament so passionately. 
passionately over sin or the condoning of sin that it cannot be hidden. In other words, what it means is you see sin, yours or somebody else's, and it breaks your heart. Yours or somebody else's, and it breaks your heart. One of the cool things about the Beatitudes is that they build on each other. They do. You're going to notice it throughout this entire series. The Beatitudes, they build on each other. The first one that we spoke about last week was, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? Those who are poor in spirit recognize their need for God. That's what Joel spoke about last week. Those who are poor in spirit recognize their need for God. They realize who God is and who they aren't. They realize who God is and who they aren't. The poor in spirit recognize that they have a sin problem, and they mourn for it, and they mourn over it. They weep and cry because they have an awareness of their own shortcomings and the shortcomings of others. And all of a sudden, the realization kicks in. This sin problem... This sin problem, not only does it keep everybody else separated from God, but it keeps me separated from God as well. The most important relationship that we can have in this life, bar none, hands down, no comparison, is our relationship with Jesus. He is the highest tip-top pedestal that we should have. Nothing should be above him. And if there's anything in this life that would prevent us from experiencing that beautiful relationship with him, and there's something in the middle of that, we should mourn. We should wail. We should weep. We should lament. Because what's on the other side of that is the most beautiful thing that you could possibly experience in your entire life. And to not be a part of that, oh, man, I would cry my eyes out. I would cry my eyes out. Lloyd-Jones has this remarkable quote in regards to this. And he says this, As I confront God and his holiness and contemplate the life that I am meant to live, I see myself, my utter helplessness and hopelessness. I love this quote. I got it from a commentary that I was reading as I was studying for this message. When he says, as I confront God and his holiness and contemplate the life that I am meant to live, what is he saying there? He's saying that as he is in the presence of God, as he's praying, as he's worshiping, as one of those things is happening, as he's reading God's word, he's ushered into God's presence, and he's in the middle of his glory, in the middle of God's holiness, he realizes something. He contemplates the life that he is meant to live, meaning that when you are in God's presence, the veil gets torn back and everything gets exposed, not just in you, but in the whole entire world. I remember this happened to me when I first came to Christ. All of a sudden, it's like the the, the lid popped off and everything became so clear. What was sin became sin. What was a lie was known for a lie. What was truth became known as truth. The life that I was living at that moment, I realized, wait a minute, this, is, this life that I'm living right now is not lining up with the way that God wants me to live it. There's something wrong here. That's what happens when you're in the presence of God. You encounter him in such a way that he shows you something so beautiful, so amazing that you realize, wait, that, that's sin? Yeah. 
that this is what's been keeping me from you? Yeah. And all of a sudden, there's a decision that has to be made. What are you going to do? Are you going to experience this wonderful relationship? Or are you going to continue living life and wondering what it was meant to look like? What it should have looked like? I see myself, he says. My utter helplessness and hopelessness, he says. Do you know what he's really saying at the end there when he's talking about his helplessness and his hopelessness? He's telling us something. He's expressing a deep need. He's revealing to us a deep truth, and I don't want you to miss it. If you take anything from today's message, take this, write it down, copy it, take a picture, but don't miss this. If you don't see yourself as a sinner, you won't see your need for a Savior. If you don't see yourself as a sinner, you won't see your need for a Savior. If you don't see that, you'll never reach out to the one who can comfort you. If you never see that, you'll never hear him calling you, telling you to come near to him. Why? Because you think you're good and you think you're all right. If you don't see yourself as a sinner, you won't mourn, penthail for the things that break the heart of God. If you don't see yourself as a sinner, you won't see your need for a Savior. There is a story in the Gospel of Luke that illustrates this so perfectly. And what I mean by that is that this story, there's one person that recognizes their need, and then there's another that doesn't. And as we're getting there, I just want to paint the picture of what is happening in this moment in time really quick. At this time in Jesus' story, his ministry campaign is on full display. He has been healing paralytics. He has been giving sight to the blind. He has been raising people from the dead, curing diseases, and teaching to many, many crowds of people. And that's just to name a few of the things that he has been doing. News about him at this time has spread out through the entire region, so much so that if anybody caught a whisper or a rumor or a hint that Jesus was going to be somewhere, they would gather there off a whim just to see this man that everybody talks about. So at this point in time, there is a religious leader that invites Jesus to have dinner with him. But this religious leader has a hidden agenda. He wants to discredit and he wants to embarrass Jesus. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking. Well, Eddie, if he wants to discredit and embarrass Jesus, why even invite him? Why not just leave him outside and not invite him? That would show everybody that you're not cool with him. Well, the reality is this is where the the ruse comes in. This is where the embarrassment comes in. You see, it was tradition in that culture, in Jewish culture at that time, that if I invited you over for dinner to my house, three things had to happen. One, the moment you showed up to my doorstep, I would greet you with a kiss. It's called the kiss of greeting. Two, after that, I would have one of my servants wash your feet. After that, the third thing that would happen after your feet were all nice and washed and clean, obviously because you're trekking down the dirt road, right? After your feet are washed and cleaned, then I would anoint you with a perfume or an oil of some kind to refresh you. After that, then you would recline at the table. 
all of those three things would be done to show acceptance, to show that I'm cool with you, to show that you're part of whatever it is that I'm a part of. And that's how the stage is set. Let's look at what happens in Luke chapter 7. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. As you can see, there's something missing there. There's a whole bunch of steps that didn't happen at that time. As you can see right off the bat, Jesus shows up, but there is no kiss. Jesus shows up, and there's no servant to wash his feet. Jesus shows up, and there's no refreshing oil to anoint him with. Do you think Jesus doesn't notice this? Jesus is Jewish. He's part of this culture. He knows what's supposed to happen, but this doesn't happen. But what does Jesus do? He reclines at the table anyway. He reclines at the table anyway. A woman in that town, continuing on in verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. This woman was a sinner. The proper translation for her situation is she was a prostitute. She was a prostitute. You're not a prostitute and don't know that you're a prostitute. She knew she was a sinner. She knew she was a prostitute. By word of mouth, she heard that Jesus was eating there. And I'm sure by that same word of mouth, she heard about his miracles, his healings, his teachings, and his forgiveness of sins. So she went to the Pharisee's house to see the man that she had heard so much about. And what does she notice? She notices the same thing that Jesus noticed. There was no greeting. There was no washing. There was no refreshing. There she was in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of the most holy one. And look at what she does. In verse 38, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she began to wipe them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. That word weeping, what she was doing, that word weeping, it means a wailing and crying as if mourning. What was she? She was Pentheo. Why was she Pentheo? Because maybe she realized she was in the presence of God. Maybe she realized she was in the presence of the Almighty One. And she realized that this person who did no wrong whatsoever, the person who's been healing and forgiving sins and bringing people back from the dead and giving sight to the blind, he did nothing wrong and these people treated him this way. And here I am in the presence of this man. I don't deserve to be in his presence right now. These people, these Pharisees, they don't deserve to be in his presence right now. And as a reflection of her looking at him, she realized how poor in spirit she really was. She realized how much she really needed Jesus. She realized her sin all the more. And what did she do? She started wailing and crying and mourning. She was pentheo in front of Jesus. Do you know how much 
you have to cry in order to be able to wash somebody's feet. That's a lot of tears. That's a lot of tears. But when you are grieving and lamenting so passionately over sin that it cannot be hidden, believe me, there will be enough tears. There will be enough tears. Continuing on in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. He would know who was touching him. Do you think Jesus doesn't know who's touching him? He's the God of the universe. Do you think Jesus doesn't know who's touching him? Jesus knows. He knows. The one reaching out, the one touching Jesus is the one that recognizes her need for a savior. The one that didn't reach out when Jesus arrived, the one that didn't kiss, the one that didn't wash, the one that didn't refresh, that's the one that thinks they're okay and that they don't need one. That's the, one that's, that's the one that thinks he's okay and that he doesn't need a savior, this Pharisee that invited him to dinner. From the bottom of my heart, I tell each and every single one of you right now, don't be a Pharisee. Don't be a Pharisee. In this room right now, Everyone sitting in these seats has a reason to reach out. You do. Every person sitting down, every person watching online, every person at this very moment has a reason to reach out and touch Jesus. Every time we pray, every time we worship, every time we read his word, every time we cry out to him, we are reaching out to him and touching him. And just like this woman, Jesus knows that you are reaching out and touching him. It will not go unnoticed. It will not go unnoticed. Let me tell you why. Let me show you why. In response to the Pharisees' comment about who is touching him, Jesus says this. Jesus answers him, Simon, who is the Pharisee, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more. Simon replied, kind of hesitantly too, I suppose the one that had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and have wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. 
as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The woman reaching out and touching Jesus did not go unnoticed. He knew who was touching him. In that short parable, the woman is the one who has the bigger debt, but not because her sin is bigger, but because she recognizes that she has sin. I have to say that again. It's so important. In the parable, the woman is is the one with the bigger debt, but not because her sin is bigger, because she is the one that realizes that she has sin. If you don't see your need, if you don't see yourself as a sinner, you won't see your need for a savior. And notice this. Jesus didn't tell her, hey, I'm going to send you a papyrus sheet in a few days that says you're forgiven. In the middle of your mourning, in the middle of your crying, in the middle of your wailing, in the middle of you washing my feet right now, in a few days from now, I'm going to send you a handwritten note that says that you're forgiven. Matter of fact, no, Jesus didn't say that to her. He didn't tell her, hey, in four days' time, meet me outside of the town by the well. I know you're crying right now, but meet me outside of the town in the well in four days' time. We're going to hang out with my disciples, and then I'm going to forgive you of the reason of why you're wailing and mourning and crying. That's not what he did. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus saw that she was pentheo. So what was Jesus? Parakaleo. He forgave her right then and right there. Jesus comforted her and forgave her of her sins right at that moment. Jesus can do the same for any one of us. We need only to realize our need for a Savior and reach out. But the process doesn't stop there. We should reach out every single time. We have pentheo deep down in our hearts. It shouldn't just be a one-time deal. We should because Jesus gives us a promise in this beatitude. He says this, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. It's not a maybe. It's not a, I'm not sure. No, you will be comforted. That's a promise. You will be called to one side, meaning that you will be called into the presence of God. You will be called into his presence and he will console you. He will encourage you. He will strengthen you and he will lift you up. The same thing he did with the woman, he will do with you. He will forgive you in his presence. He will heal you in his presence. He will show you his love and his mercy while you are in his presence. He will give you peace in his presence. He will give you understanding in his presence. He will give you purpose, passion, truth, grace, love, and the list goes on and on and on. All of that happens in the presence of God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? That every time you feel like you've been outcasted, that every time you feel like you've been rejected, that every time you feel like you've fallen short, you've misstepped, or that you've made a mistake, that all you would have to do, all you would have to do, just reach out. Just reach out. Jesus knows who is touching him. 
knows. And every time you reach out, and every time you pray, and every time you worship, and every time you read his word, and every time you cry out to him, God knows it's you. God hears you. He sees you. He knows who is touching him. And trust me, it will not go unnoticed. As we close, I just want to touch on that beatitude one more time. But this time I want to talk to you about it from Matthew 5.4, the Amplified Version. I know we always look at this verse and we always look at it at face value. But I think the Amplified Version really hits it on the head of what Jesus' true intention of this verse really means. And I don't want us to miss it. It says this in Matthew 5.4, the Amplified Version. Blessed, forgiven, refreshed by God's grace are those who mourn over their sins and repent. For they will be comforted when the burden of sin is lifted. There's only one person that can lift that burden. It's not your wife, it's not your husband, it's not your boyfriend, it's not your girlfriend, it's not your aunt, it's not your uncle, it's not your grandma, it's not your grandpa, it's not your best friend. There's only one person who can lift that burden. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. My prayer for each and every single one of us this morning is that we never stop recognizing our need for a savior. We never stop recognizing our need for a savior. My prayer is that we would continue to reach out to him in Pentheo so that he can be Barakaleo. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, my God, for this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, my God. We thank you because you are the God of all comfort, my God. We know, Lord, that your word of comfort, my Lord, is not a word for later on, my God. We know that it is a word for right now. We know that you're not a God that likes to wait when it comes down to your comfort, my Lord. We only need to reach out to you, my God. Reach out to you, Lord, while we are pentheo, my Lord. While we are mourning over our shortcomings, my Lord. Realizing who you are, my God, and realizing who we aren't, my God. We need you, Lord. We need you, God. We know that we need you more than ever, my God. And it doesn't matter what life we lived before, what life we're living now, my Lord. All that I know, Lord, is that every single person in this room, every single person watching online, myself included, my Lord, we need you now more than ever, my Lord. So I pray, Lord, just like that woman, Lord, with wailing and tears coming down our face, Lord, that when we reach out to you, my Lord, that you come back and reach out back to, excuse me, back to us, my Lord that you would comfort us, that you would strengthen us, that you would encourage us, that you would lift us up, my Lord, that you would show us the life that we are meant to live, my God, and that we would make the decision, my Lord, to live that life, my Lord, and choose to not go the other way, Lord, because the other way is not as beautiful. It won't be as beautiful. It can't compare to the life 
that you want us to live with you, my Lord. It is a beautiful, amazing, fantastic, phenomenal life, my God. So I pray, Lord, right now over everybody who is here, Lord, that we would make that decision, that we would follow you, my Lord, that we would recognize who we are, my Lord, in light of you, and that we would follow you, chase after you like never before, my God. That we would have a passion, my Lord, to learn about you, but not just learn about you, my God, but to live out what we learn, my Lord. And as a result, my God, our lives would be transformed. Our hearts would be transformed, my God. I pray that over every single one of us this morning. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Go, be Pentheo. Have a great week. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.